if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Second Chronicles 7.14 This morning for our sermon, I'd like to tell you a story. It's a story that happened a long, long time ago, but it is a story that still applies to your life today and to my life as well. It is a story about a man named Abraham. Now, you probably know a lot of stories about Abraham. You might know that Abraham was a guy that counted stars, the very first astronomer maybe, I don't know. But that promise that God gives to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 where he says, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. You might remember that. You might remember that even though God promised that, Abraham didn't have any kids until he was like 100 years old, right? God promised him all these descendants and he didn't even have one for most of his life. You might also remember that later in life, Abraham was actually asked by God to sacrifice that very same child. You might remember a lot of things about Abraham. But did you remember that Abraham was a man of prayer? He was. And so because Abraham was a man of prayer, this story is really only about Abraham on one very small level. It's actually a story about God. In fact, when you think about it, all of the stories in our Bibles are stories about God. They're God's ways of telling us who he is and what he's like. And so our Bibles are chock full of stories that are primarily about God. Moses' story is a story about God. Joseph's story is a story about God. Jonah's story is not a story about a great big fish. It's a story about a great big God. And Daniel's story is not a story about a den of lions. It's a story about God. Noah's story is not the story of an enormous flood. It's the story of God. And I hope one day at the end of my life, that when all is said and done in my life, that it will be a story about God. And I hope that when you reach the end of your life as well, that your life will be a story about God. <laughs> now, when some people tell a story, they like to kind of keep the ending to the very ending. They like to surprise you at the very, very end. And so they don't tell you anything about how the story's going to end. And then you get to the end and there's this big surprise, right? Some people tell a story that way. Other people, when they tell a story, they live little tidbits along the way. They just drop little breadcrumbs along the trail that point to where they're going in their story. It's called foreshadowing. And the problem with that is if you're not very smart, like I am, you often don't pick those up until you've read the whole story, and then you look back and you go, oh, I get it now. So I don't like to tell a story that way. Me, when I tell a story, I like to tell you right at the very beginning where it's going to go. And that way you can decide whether the next 25 minutes of your life are worth listening to the story or not. And so for our story this morning, there's three things that you're going to be learning. There's three things that I'm going to be bringing out. It is these three things. That through prayer, Abraham walks with God. Through prayer, Abraham learns to know God. And through prayer, Abraham learns to work with God. Abraham personifies that verse in Psalm 128, verse 1, which says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord, 
Blessed is the one who walks in all his ways. Now I hope that as I shared that and I, I shared that verse that, that your, your heart just skipped a beat a little bit. I hope your ears perked up. I hope it grabbed your attention. And I hope you started to look at your own life and you go, hey, you know what? That's a pretty good goal for a life. I kind of want that for my life. When all is said and done, I, I want to be someone who walks with God. I want to be someone who comes to know God better and better. I want to be someone who works with God. And so I hope that that is where you're thinking your life is heading as well. And my hope then is that, is that this story this morning, Abraham's story, God's story, will impact your story It'll help your life in such a way that you walk with God, you come to know him, and you work with him. And so we consider our friend Abraham. Now, at the time our story takes place in Genesis chapter 18, God's already been at work in Abraham's life. God has already placed a call on Abraham's life. He reached down to where Abraham was in Ur of the Chaldees, and God said, follow me and I'll make you a great nation. Doesn't even tell him where he's supposed to go. Just says, pack up and go. And Abraham does that. He takes everything that he knows, everything that's familiar, the language, the culture, everything, and he leaves it all behind. He packs up just his closest family members and some of his flocks, and he heads out. And our Bibles say that it's faith that prompts Abraham to do that. It's faith. It's his confident hope in the future. And his complete trust in the promises of God. Faith that allows Abraham to just set out on a journey when he doesn't even know where it's going. It's faith. Now, it's not perfect faith. Like, don't ever think that. It is absolutely not perfect faith. By the time our story takes place in Genesis 18, Abraham's already had a whole bunch of missteps along the way. When he first sets off from Ur, he gets to a place called Haran. It's not even that far away. And he goes, yeah, this is, this is pretty nice. A good spot here. I'm going to settle here. And, and Abraham decides that. And God says, no, that's not where you're supposed to go. Keep moving. And so Abraham, again, goes down to Egypt. And when he gets down to Egypt, he, he encounters all of this trouble down in Egypt with the Egyptian king, the Pharaoh. And he winds up telling lies. And he puts himself and his wife, Sarah, in grave danger down in Egypt. So that's another mistake. His walk is not a perfect walk. And his faith is not a perfect faith. But each time that Abraham prays, as God talks to Abraham and as Abraham talks to God, God speaks to him more and more about what God wants. And Abraham's heart slowly gets connected more closely to God's heart. Through prayer, Abraham walks with God a little bit better, comes to know God's heart a little bit better, and starts working with God a little bit better. Now, Abraham has a nephew, a guy named Lot. And Lot is actually a pretty decent guy. He often gets a short shrift in, in, in Scripture. But think about this. Lot is Abraham's nephew, and that means that he leaves his mom and his dad. He leaves everything he knows, his culture and his friends and his family, in order to follow and go with Abraham and, and follow Abraham's God. Wherever they're going to go, a Lot and Abraham are sticking together. So, so Lot has got some things in the positive thing, but, but now they get down to the promised land and they have to separate. 
You see, the blessings of God have, have caused their flocks to grow, to increase, and now they just they can't all be in one place. And those of you that graze cattle or sheep or something, you, you know that, that if you have too many of them in one place, they actually destroy the, the ground. And so you kind of have to move them all around. And so that's what's happened here. Lot and his uncle, Abraham, have had to separate. Abraham says, choose. And Abraham, of course, gets the short end of the stick when he lets Lot choose. So Abraham settles up in the hill country. It's a little more arid there, maybe not quite as good a grass up in the hill country of Canaan. And Lot, Lot looks down over the plain. And Lot sees a well-watered, fertile plain. And so Lot goes, hey, that's a good place to raise some cows and, and herd some sheep. And so that's what Lot chooses, down on the plain. But there's a problem down on the plain. You see, there's other people living on that plain. And they're, they're living in cities. And they're not very good people. Like, they just aren't. They're not following God. They're following the desires of their own heart. And that's leading them down all sorts of dark pathways. They are choosing ways and choosing actions that are absolutely abominable unspeakable to God. And Lot winds up moving into one of those cities. It's, it's crazy because Lot's a herdsman. He needs to be out with the cattle and the sheep and the goats. That's where he needs to be. But instead, he moves into one of the cities, into the city of Sodom. And did I mention to you that Sodom is an incredibly wicked city? <laughs> Maybe Lot, like some of you in your foolish teenage years, you thought that you could live amongst all these sinful people and not, not get sucked in by their sin. <sighs> Maybe Lot thinks it's okay to live there amongst all these people as long as he doesn't join them in their sin. We don't know, but one thing we do know is that Lot is in grave, grave danger. You see, our God is a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a God who shows mercy to a thousand generations of those who fear him. He is a God who is abounding in love, steadfast in all his ways. He is a God who, for whatever reason, has a great love for you and I, his beloved dust. But God is also a God of, of judgment. He's a just judge. He's the one who brings punishment when people disobey. And so God is looking at the city of Sodom and the city of Gomorrah, and he's thinking to himself, at some point, mercy has to end, and there has to come a time of judgment. And so God's been watching these cities for some time now, and what's going on there is just unspeakably awful. It's even worse than some of the things that we're seeing in our day today with human slavery and child trafficking, and, and these cities have become worse and worse every year, worse and worse and worse, until the danger that they pose is just too great. They're corrupting everyone. The time of God's mercy has passed. And now it's time for God to bring judgment on these cities. But look carefully at verse 17. Because God asks himself this. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? That's an incredible question that God asks himself. 
Now, some of you, you make plans, right? You think about what you're going to be doing, and you don't necessarily share all of your plans with everyone, right? If you share all your plans with everyone, that could potentially spoil your plans. And so you don't do that as a general rule of thumb. You don't broadcast your plans from the top of the rooftops. You don't shout it to strangers on the street. You don't sing it from the hills, right? No. As a general rule of thumb, we keep our plans a little closer to our hearts, right? And, and, and when we tell someone about our plans, it's, it's usually someone that we're close to, our, our wife, our spouse, our good friends. Sometimes we might even actually listen to advice from some of our friends. Like, I'm thinking of doing this. What do you think about it, right? We don't share our plans with everyone. We do share our plans with our closest friends. And so God shares his plan with Abraham. Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled them out. I love that phrase. In some of our versions, God says, I've chosen him. In the Hebrew, it literally says, I know him. It's the Hebrew word yada, to know, to know closely, to know intimately. That's remarkable. You see, in one sense, God, he knows all of us, right? He's omniscient. He knows everything about everything. So he knows everything about every one of you that's where you're sitting right now, what you're having for breakfast, whether you had breakfast, you should eat breakfast, and the hairs on your head, the days of your life. God knows all of this, and it's the same for all of us. He knows this about seven and a half billion people. God knows all of us. But in another sense, there's only a few people that God knows. People who have a relationship with their God, their creator. People who give God more than just a passing nod on a Sunday morning. People who follow him by faith. People who take up their cross daily in order to obey him. People who trust in God, who confide in God. People of prayer who include God in every moment of their lives. These are the people who become friends with God. And so it's one thing for God to know about you. It's another thing entirely for God to know you. And that is my hope for you, that God knows you. That you will not settle for just a passing acquaintance with God. Abraham's friends with God. And God lets Abraham know his plans. And that's partly why being a person of prayer is such an important thing because as you and I come to know God more fully, as, as we come to walk with him more closely, we, we begin to see more and more about what God's about. Through prayer we do that and as we do that, as our hearts get connected to God's hearts, God begins to let us know what his plans are. He begins to include us in his plans. You start to become Friends with God, and he lets you in on his secrets. He treats us like friends, and he calls us his plans, and tells us his plans. So God includes Abraham in the secret of his plans. He says, I've heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant, and I'm going down there to see if their actions are as wicked as I've heard. If not, I want to know. God lets Abraham know what he's about to do. Now, maybe you've heard the story before. It's a pretty familiar story. 
Maybe someone in your past has read this story to you when you were a little kid just before bedtime and you lay awake all night all night thinking about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe that happened. Maybe your Sunday school teacher broke out the flannel graph and gave you this story illustrated on flannel graph. Maybe you studied this story in a Bible study at some point. And if so, it is at this point in our story that so many storytellers miss the point. They missed the point. You see, if I were there, in all of my fallen humanness, and God told me that he was going to destroy a city where someone that I was related to lived, my first concern would be for the safety and the well-being of that person that I know, that person that I love, that person that I'm related to. I, okay, if you're going to destroy all the rest of them, like strangers, Lord, go ahead and do that. No skin off my nose, but look after the people that I love. All these strangers, sure, save them. Don't save them, but save my family. And many storytellers think Abraham does this, but he doesn't. Like, take a moment and skim down through Abraham's words, verses 23 to 32. Go ahead, open up your Bibles if you've got them, or look, pull it up on your Bible apps. And, like, ask yourself as you skim over this, just... Go through it quickly and ask yourself, how many times in Abraham's response to God does Abraham mention the name of his nephew, Lot? How many times does he express a concern about Lot's safety? Not once. Not one single time. You see, Abraham's heart is starting to get more closely connected to God's heart. Abraham is starting to align his thoughts with God's thoughts, his desires with God's desires. And through prayer, God's character is starting to rub off on Abraham. And so Abraham is not primarily thinking about Lot and Lot's wife and Lot's kids, the people that Abraham knows. No, Abraham is not primarily concerned with his own. He is concerned with God's own. And our Bibles say this about our God. God does not want anyone to be destroyed. God wants everyone to repent. That's in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. God wants everyone to repent. And you know, I think this is kind of what starts to happen to us. As we become men and women of prayer, as we spend more and more time with God, as we allow him to have more and more of us, his heart starts to rub off on our hearts. His character starts to get stamped on our characters. And we become more and more gracious, more and more merciful, slow to anger, and quick to love. We start thinking God's thoughts, because while God is a powerful judge, he's a holy God, he is pure and righteous in all his ways, there's no one like him in all the universe, he is also a merciful God, and he does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants all of us to turn from our sins and turn to him. There's room in God's family for every one of his children. And so you can start to see in this story two important ways that Abraham's heart is becoming like God's heart. First of all, 
Abraham's heart is not just for the people he knows, it's for all people. Not just his own circle, not just his own little world, his own tiny family. Abraham's world is getting bigger. It's getting bigger. He's getting more and more love for more people. He wants everyone to be saved. Not just Lot, not just Lot's family, every single person in that city. Now, can I be honest with you here? Because there's a few people on this planet that I personally really don't think deserve God's mercy. There's a few people in my sinfulness that I'm not sure I want God to spare. There's a few CNN anchors, a few politicians, Jeffrey Epstein. But my wanting God to destroy those people is not evidence that I'm a good person. It isn't. It is evidence that my heart is not yet completely God's heart. Because God doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. And I need to allow more of God's heart to shape my heart. The most famous verse of all says, God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is not just good news for a few people. This is good news for all seven and a half billion of us. Like, this is how God feels about you and me. This is how he feels about your neighbor who's driving you crazy. This is how he feels about your coworker who you have trouble liking. This is how God feels about every single one of us from the most wicked reprobate living on the streets, the mass murderer, the human trafficker, right through the very best person who ever lived. All of us. God wants all of us. So Abraham isn't just thinking about Lot. He's thinking about God and God's thoughts, and he's concerned with everyone in Sodom. And so the second way that Abraham's heart is becoming like God's heart is Abraham's heart is starting to choose mercy over judgment. Abraham's heart is coming to learn one of the biggest, most mysterious most inscrutable things, most profound things about our God. And I want you to listen very, very closely here because what I am about to tell you about God might just change your entire life. You see, this is one of God's greatest secrets. For the sake of a few righteous people, God is willing to spare many unrighteous people. For the sake of a few who are following him, God is willing to spare many who are not. God is willing to do that. Let's look at our story again. Verse 23, Abraham approaches God and says, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing. Uh, Destroying the righteous along with the wicked? You'd be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you would not do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Now, on the surface, maybe that looks a little impertinent to you. Like, Abraham, like, show God a little more respect. But I think, 
I think God sees deeper here. And I think God listens to Abraham's words and God thinks to himself, my goodness, Abraham, you are finally starting to get it. You're starting to understand my merciful heart. You see, Abraham's not just asking God to spare Lot. Abraham's saying, God, if there are a few 50 righteous people, like even if there's a few, can you spare the entire city? Don't just save Lot and his families. Don't just save the righteous people, but for the sake of the righteous people, spare thousands, tens of thousands of unrighteous people. And God says this. Yes, Abraham. Yes. If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I'll spare the entire city for their sake. And Abraham starts to catch this glimpse of God's heart. And through his prayers to God, Abraham starts to understand God's heart. So he he presses on. (laughs) Abraham speaks again. Since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes. Suppose there's only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city just for a lack of five? And the Lord says, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. And this begins in this story, this incredible, intriguing exchange between God and Abraham. Abraham is persisting in his prayer. He is starting to kind of feel out what God's heart is like. Uh, If God is true, if this is true of God that he's willing to spare many unrighteous for the sake of, of a few righteous ones, then, then what's the number? And so Abraham starts to kind of have this uh, interplay back and forth with God, and he, he starts to press on. It says, it says, suppose there's only 40, and the Lord replies, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 40. And Abraham's courage starts to rise. God's willing to negotiate. God doesn't want to destroy these people. God's first impulse is an impulse of mercy. He is loath to bring judgment. God may be willing to change his plans for the sake of Abraham's prayer. So Abraham continues. He says, please don't be angry, my Lord. Let me speak. Suppose there's only 30 righteous people. Will you spare the entire city for the, for the sake of 30? And God says, I will not destroy it if I find 30 righteous people. And Abraham says, since I've dared to speak, O Lord, let me continue. Suppose, suppose there's 20. And the Lord says, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20 righteous people. For the sake of 20 righteous people, I will spare thousands, tens of thousands of unrighteous people. And finally, Abraham says, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose only 10 are found there. And the Lord replies, I will not destroy the city for the sake of 10 righteous people people and with that Abraham stops praying he stops praying Abraham has prayed to God he has connected his heart to God's heart he's seen the heart of a heavenly father who wants to show mercy who loves the unrighteous who is willing to spare many for the sake of the few Abraham has seen all of that and then he stops praying he turns around and he does not go any further with God he doesn't go any further in his prayer he stops praying he turns around and he goes back to his tent 
And in your English translations, it really emphasizes that God is the one who ends the conversation, but it is much less clear in the Hebrew Bible. Who ends the conversation? Yahweh, why yelek? God continues his journey. Abraham, sablim cuomo. Abraham returns to his tent, but what happens in the meantime? Like this whole interchange, this whole conversation has been Abraham talking, God responding. Abraham talking, God responding. Who's the last conversationalist in here? God's response. It's up to Abraham to to ask, and Abraham doesn't. Why does Abraham stop? Why doesn't he keep walking with God? Why doesn't he ask for five? Why does he stop at at ten righteous people? Why does Abraham not persist in praying? Does he think, surely in a city the size of Sodom, there must be ten righteous people. I I should be good, right? Surely I've I've prayed enough. I've I've impositioned God enough. I don't know what's going on in Abraham's mind, but there are two things that I know to be true about God's mind and God's heart. There's two things that we know to be true about God. The first one is this. God wants us to pray continually. God is forever exhorting us and commanding us in Scripture to to connect with him in prayer and to stay connected with him in prayer. Amen does not end the prayer amen is just saying be it so lord like align my heart with your heart we're supposed to pray and never stop praying to never sever that connection it is god's desire for you and me that we become people of prayer in every moment of our waking lives every moment that we're awake we never stop talking to him we're like that little child that just never silences themselves right and is always talking to the bus driver right behind their seat god wants that god wants you to include him in your life in every moment of your life and to to be a person of prayer who prays and never stops praying. That's what Jesus says in Luke 18. He tells the story of the persistent widow. We're going to look at that in a couple weeks. That's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. Never stop praying. And so it seems completely out of character for God to be the one who ends the conversation with Abraham here It seems to me much more likely that had Abraham persisted in his prayer, had Abraham tried five, and then three, and then one, had Abraham not stopped praying, not returned to his tent, this story may have ended differently. Because here is the second thing that we know to be true about our God. God delights in mercy. God is slow to anger. God is abounding in love and forgiveness to a thousand generations of those who fear him. We know from our Bibles that when Jonah the prophet preaches to that great wicked city of Nineveh, the entire city says, oh my goodness, we're terrible people. And so they repent and they ask God for forgiveness. And guess what happens? God forgives the entire city. Nineveh repents and God relents. And the only one who's unhappy about it is is Jonah. Jonah 3 verse 10. In Hosea chapter 10, God literally 
weeps at the thought of having to judge, of having to punish the people that he loves. He wants to show mercy. In, in, in Joel chapter 3 that we looked at last summer, sorry, Joel chapter 2, we learned that, that, God, that God's heart is a God that he wants to hold off judgment and he wants to bring blessing. And when we repent, God relents. This is over and over throughout Scripture. This is what we know to be true about our God, is that he always chooses mercy over judgment, any chance that he has. And as you continue in prayer, and as God's heart begins to shape your heart, as you walk with God, as you come to know him, as you start working with him, you're going to start realizing this deep, profound, life-changing truth. God is a God who forgives over and over and over and over. Not just once or twice. He's a 70 times 7 kind of God. See, here's the point. God will not simply spare one city for the sake of 50 or 30 or 20 or 10 righteous people. God is willing for the sake of one righteous man to save the entire planet. For the sake of one sinless, perfect, righteous young rabbi, the carpenter's son, Jesus, who lived so many years ago for the sake of his sacrifice for our benefit, for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of that one righteous man, God is willing to spare every sinner who has ever lived. Not on the basis of your righteousness because you have none, but on the basis of Christ's righteousness. This is the heart of our God. This is the desire of our creator who calls each and every single one of us as we live our lives, as we include him in our lives in prayer, as we walk with him, as we come to know him, as we learn more about him, as we begin to work with him. This is what God wants each and every single one of us to know, that for the sake of one righteous man, God is willing to spare the entire planet for the sake of one righteous man, Jesus. God is willing to spare you. 